you know, during the pandemic, I started posting to social media a lot, which I never did before. It wasn't something I was interested in, but I, you know, we were bored at home and I did a few things and people loved seeing the scenes from this hillside because a lot of people were stuck in an apartment somewhere. Here we are with Andy Thorne, banjo player from the legendary bluegrass band Leftover Salmon. Andy, so glad to have you on here, man. How you doing today? Doing really good. Thanks for having me. Nice to be home today. So for everyone out there listening, you may recognize Andy from social media. He's gone viral for playing banjo in the mountains with uh, his Fox friends. Andy, man, so glad to have you here. And, you know, you've got this new solo album coming out. To start this off, can you take us back and, and like, Take me through that very first encounter with, with you and Foxy. Um, well, I, we, we moved in here in 2015. We live about 15 minutes out of North Boulder, but you go up like 2000 feet and it really opens up into a beautiful neighborhood with all this space. So ever since we moved in, we've just been seeing tons of animals and a lot of foxes, deer, mountain lions, bears, so that that's always been really cool, but I guess we've always been on tour a lot. So it wasn't until the pandemic that we started to realize that the same fox came over almost every day. And then one day I was playing banjo on the deck and he seemed really interested in it. And that's where we sort of started this whole thing. And uh, it definitely wasn't anything we thought we were going to put on YouTube or anything like that at first. It was just an amazing thing that was happening during the pandemic because we couldn't do anything we weren't allowed to go anywhere but we had this fox stopping by and it was really cool to sort of get to know him and his demeanor and personality and then we started capturing it with the phone when he would stop and listen to a song I was playing or something and people just totally went nuts over it so you're there playing the banjo and, and the fox stops dead in his tracks, looks you right in the eye while you're playing. And you're there locking eyes with this fox playing. What does that feel like? Um, well, you know, he wasn't always transfixed because sometimes I'd be, it was cool because he's, sort, he's kind of a snobby music fan in a way because when I'm doing my normal three finger banjo thing, which is a little bit more aggressive, a little bit faster and louder, he didn't really get that into it it wasn't until I was playing claw hammer banjo one day that he was like oh it's got a, it's in an open tuning and it really vibrates a lot or something I don't know something about that um got him to listen and stop and that's kind of what inspired me to do all this claw hammer the whole album is claw hammer I don't know if you know the difference but so in the band where we're like playing fast stuff and in most bluegrass you play with picks on I don't have any right here but um, you have three fingers on. And when when I started doing this stuff for the Fox, it's claw hammer, which is no picks. It's a little more organic. You're kind of playing rhythm and melody at the same time. Are you sure it's always been just one Fox? No. Um, but during the pandemic, we did know that it was the same Fox because we were home every single day. You can you could see that it was him. There were only like two or three foxes that came by regularly then. And we could tell each one apart. So that was really neat. And now like this summer, 
we've been in and out so much. We don't really know who's who, not to mention the foxes had six babies um, right over our hillside, which was the coolest thing ever because we sort of had kids at the same time. So we were like, the fox that we knew really well was a male that we named Foxy. And we were, one day we were out there with his cubs and my baby and me and my wife. And it was just this magical thing. And Man, where, uh, but now we have no are? idea who's who. <laughs> That's literally a Disney movie that I feel like yeah, I've already people, seen. <laughs> my favorite comment is this guy is a Disney princess. <laughs> that was probably my favorite comment. <laughs> Mine too. So Andy, jumping a little bit to the side, like I'm very curious to, you know, seeing these videos, gorgeous sunrise over the mountains, you, you playing your banjo. It's almost like, you know, you can hear it, but that the image alone would be a great painting. How does nature inspire you as an artist? Um, nature is probably my biggest inspiration in music. I've always, like those two things have always been hand in hand for me. I played electric guitar growing up. I was in like the jazz band and I was in jam bands, but I always played banjo too. And I think the thing that really I loved about banjo is that you can take it camping, you can take it backpacking, you can like you can be outside playing it. Electric instruments, I, I really see the value in them. But to me, I want to be able to like go play around the campfire. I want to be able to go backpacking with it. So I was in. I was in Boy Scouts growing up. I'm a friggin' Eagle Scout and everything. And we had this musical troupe. We went on these backpacking trips and we would like jam everywhere we were going and people loved it. And uh, then, you know, in college, I was stuck in North Carolina, which was great. I love, I love North Carolina and Chapel Hill, but I always wanted to move to Colorado because of the nature that you can experience here. And uh, since I moved here, it's been a dream to live on this hillside and write music on the deck while I'm watching animals prance around and it's the best, you know? Do you ever feel just like mind blown that, you know, we even exist, that nature is even a thing? Like how are we here in the first place? And like, does that concept inspire you as an artist? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it is, we're just a tiny speck in this crazy universe who knows what's really going on out here, but I just like to enjoy life. Just, you know, I just wanna do the things I like and I really like to be outside. I like to be hiking, biking, skiing, and I like to be playing the banjo outside. Playing for crowds in a, in a packed venue is an amazing feeling though, don't get me wrong, I love that too. But my favorite place to play is right here on this hillside for the animals and the family, you know? Hmm. As a musician, do you ever think about the original purpose music served, like in its early, early times music? Um, it's God, it's crazy. Just the evolution of what's happened to the banjo. It didn't even have a fifth string. I don't, I don't know enough about it to speak on this topic probably, but it came over from Africa and who knows where it originally started out. And yeah, like music's always been this primal thing there weren't any electric instruments in the beginning. There weren't, um, yeah, there was no plugging in. You were just making sounds with um, organic objects you could find, like people were beating on rocks or 
then one day they figured out, oh, you can stretch an animal hide over this or that, and you can make a drum. And then one day they put strings on that animal hide stretched out and a neck, and that became a banjo. And somehow it be it's transferred into uh, what it's become today. I've always been interested in that early stuff, though I actually made a gourd banjo years ago, you know, because that's that's where the origins of the banjo came from. And just the fretless gut strings with the gourd and the hide stretched over, there's something there's something really primal there. I'm curious to hear your take. Like, so using as an example, uh, an organ with a, with a Leslie like amplifier. Right. How it, it also could be emulated through, through like a MIDI and, and an effect, but you'll see, you'll see organ players lug around. this like hundreds and hundreds of pounds rig um, yeah. for, for like, you mentioned this organic like effect, this organic sound. And, and I'm yeah. curious with like, what is your take on, on why that sound is more desired or can have a, a greater effect than something that's um, electronic? Um, just like because of what you said, it is real. It's a real sound. It's a thing twirling and it's not an effect emulating that. And even if it's the top, not the most not top notch effect out there, it's not going to sound quite the same. You know, and it, something about the vibrations that you feel when it's a real instrument, like a real Leslie, as opposed to an organ patch on a keyboard or something, that you just can't match that. But I, I appreciate everything. I love pedals and I love like even just keyboards. They sound good enough to use on tour because you can't always bring the real thing around, you know? Even what I do with the band, to, I compromise a lot of what I want my instrument to sound like. There's like, when you hear a banjo just playing in a room, it sounds amazing. It sounds totally pure. The tone is perfect. It sounds like what it sounds like. Then once you play it into a microphone, it loses a little bit of something, but it still sounds really good. Now in a jam band like ours, you have to plug in the banjo. So you put a pickup on the instrument and all the acoustic instruments have a pickup, the acoustic guitar, the acoustic mandolin, and they instantly lose that natural quality. You know, so even what we do, our instruments sound great because we have top notch stuff to help them sound as good as they can but they don't sound organic like it does on the hillside here when you're playing acoustically you know and you you use this phrase that natural quality and yeah i feel like that can be un, unwrapped like that's such a mysterious thing like what about and maybe maybe you don't have the answer for this but i'm just wondering myself like what about the the quote-unquote natural quality <laughs> leads that kind of sound to having an impact on the listener in the way it does yeah i mean it just sounds real and it sounds raw and organic it sounds like nature but clearly unnatural sounds can have a huge impact on people too um like look how popular electronic music has gotten and pop music and i have nothing against those musics i actually really like all that stuff but when it comes to trying to replicate acoustic instruments on a big stage, you just lose the purity of those sounds. It's still good enough to, to make the show awesome, but you're compromising what you want it to sound like right away. You know, 
So sometimes at a show, I really just prefer to play my electric banjo because it's made to be electric. It's made to plug in and it sounds great. It's not an acoustic instrument that you're trying to replicate the acoustic sound of. What's going on, y'all? Thank you for listening. Hope y'all are enjoying this and hope y'all are enjoying Andy Thorne's new album. Just wanted to give a big thank you to Dialed In Gummies for sponsoring this podcast. And yeah, if you're in Colorado, definitely go get you some. Well, if you made it this far, thank you for listening. Just want to let y'all know we've got these hand-dyed, ice-dyed, weird music podcast tees. And we're also going to be making some sweatshirts. So if you'd like one, let us know. We'd love to get you one. Also want to give a big shout out to the geniuses over at Thrax CBD for sponsoring this show with their amazing products. Got a link in the description. Also, big thank you to our sponsor, J&J Distribution, Ohio's premier CBD and Delta 8 wholesale supplier. Retailers, check out their brands, Kush Burst and 3Chi THC Edibles. We got links in the description. And yeah, much love, y'all. Now back to the show. What about music do you think it was that attracted you so much to it you wanted to devote your whole life to being a musician I mean for me a lot of it was that it was fun and it once you lose that part of it it's it's over man like people that take themselves too seriously or it's all work or they practice too hard that might work for some people but for me like I, I love music because it's fun and I love that it brings people together and that's kind of what I uh what I noticed, I, you know, I started playing when I was in, when I was 12, but like in high school, I started playing with friends my age that I met and we started these little bands and those are still my best friends today. Like the friendships you can make from it and the, uh, and yeah, just doing what you love for a living, you know, and bluegrass has always been for me that thing where I can go camping and play it. I can go backpacking and play it. You can play it on your hillside. So that's what's always drawn me to bluegrass. And actually seeing leftover salmon as a teenager was a big part of what made me want to do it for a living because I'd never seen anybody having that much fun on stage as these guys when they were in their thirties, man, you know, now they're in their 60s and they still they can still outrun me in a night of hanging out. And uh, back then, like seeing them at Merlefest when I was 15, I was like, holy cow, like these guys are having a great time and they're great at what they do. If I could do something like that, I think I'd be doing pretty well. And now I'm in it, you know, there you go. It's pretty great. Talking about your album, you know, I know a lot of it mainly all of it is improvisational yeah most of it was written like in these I've been you know during the pandemic I started posting to social media a lot which I never did before it wasn't something I was interested in but I you know we were bored at home and I did a few things and people loved seeing the scenes from this hillside because a lot of people were stuck in an apartment somewhere so I started making these videos at sunrise and in the snow or like when the fox stopped by and in this open tuning that I usually keep the banjo in, it's really easy to make stuff up because nothing really sounds bad. And sometimes I, before a video, I would like noodle around for five minutes and I'd be like, oh, there's a little melody. I'll record that. And then I would post that video today. 
So those were all pretty improv. And uh, to make the album, I sort of went back through my favorite videos and chose the best melodies. And then I recorded them. So they were all improv at the time of the original writing of the songs. And then it was cool to hone them in a little bit and record them. You know, talking about quality of songs, I'm, I'm curious to hear, and, and this is a completely subjective thing, or maybe not, but like, what do you think are the most important sticking points when it comes to putting together um, specifically an improvisational song? Like a song that's not necessarily, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus with lyrics, um, but instrumental song like the songs on your album? Um, I, you know, you need some repetition. You need some sort of recognizable melody, maybe nothing that's already been done. But if you listen to these songs, you might say, oh, this sounds like that, or this sounds a little bit like that. And that's just because you have to have some sort of familiarity, I think, especially in these like very simple melodies where there's not that much tricky stuff going on. It's like more pure melody. So yeah, it's a combination of repetition, some type of familiarity, and um, then maybe something different too that makes the song stand out and a little chord progression. And then when it's a banjo tune, it can just be two or three parts. And most of these songs, there's not that much to them. And that's why it is relaxing. And that's, you know, that's why it's a nice sort of background listen because you don't have to think about it too much. It just feels good in a way because it's simple and it's pure. I'm curious what you would say is is unique to bluegrass and bluegrass musicians that kind of sets bluegrass apart. Um, it's a lot of it is that the jamming that goes on, you know, that you can't do in rock. You can't do you can do it in some jam band stuff. A lot of those guys play acoustic, but in pop music or in electronica or a lot of these musics, there's really not that much jamming that goes on. And that's why the two musics that I've always been into my whole life are jazz and bluegrass, because they have that same kind of, there's like a common language you have to be able to speak to jam with other people you've never met. You know, I've, you know, I went to France to teach at this workshop and we, we don't, we can't speak the same language, language, but we have the same musical language. So we had jams until five in the morning we're playing the same songs and they might have like subtle differences to them that they do. But um, that's, that's really what's so cool about bluegrass and jazz to me is that jamming that goes on behind the scenes at festivals and at campouts. just, that's something that's lost in a lot of music these days. Mm. I'm curious what you think it is about the music that can cause for such like a profound effect in the mind of the listener? Um, it's that rhythm, you know, it makes you want to stomp your foot. It makes you want to kick up dust. And uh, it's crazy to see what bands are doing these days, like Billy Strings, you know, I went to his Red Rocks show and that was, that was a, he's playing a lot of traditional bluegrass tons of traditional bluegrass songs and stuff, but he's doing it with this crazy energy that makes people go totally nuts. And, you know, when he kicks into high, when into overdrive with some of his pedals, it's just like, what is going on right now? I love it. I love seeing the progression of bluegrass and the kind of crowds that it can gather. He's like selling out stadiums or arenas in uh, 
it's pretty friggin' cool that he's expanding it to a whole new audience. And who knows how big Bluegrass will be in 10 years because of him, you know? Bands like Leftover and String Cheese and Yonder Mountain, they started, I mean, Bluegrass was already popular with hippies, but I don't think it was until the, those bands that it got really popular with hippies and like touring, they, you know, people started following them around. And then it, you know, Green Sky came around and the String Dusters and now Billy Strings is just taking it to a whole new level. And it's like the crowds are probably gonna be massive in a few years it's pretty wild shout out to billy yeah it's great to see for people like us and he he's so cool he'll he came out and jammed with us at a 200 person venue in may and he's actually on our new out he just came out and recorded on our new album that same day and then he came and jammed with us at the station inn and like him doing that does so much for an older band like us People are like, oh, who is this band that Billy's going out to jam with? So it's just super cool that he's, you know, he respects the guys that started it. What do you think it is about music that can cause for it to like heal people? Gosh, who knows? But I know it can. <laughs> you know, I guess it's it when you know when it gives you goosebumps or when it like some music can just bring a tear to your eye. You know, I've, some people commented on this album, oh, like so-and-so, one of my songs brought a tear to my eye this morning over my coffee, and there's not even any words, you know? There's no words, it's just a feeling that it can evoke between, you know, there's minor songs and there's major songs that can make you really, really happy, or it can make you really, really sad. It can make you frightened. Um, it's pretty wild how you can mess with people's emotions with these different keys and different modes and stuff but it's really great to take music into like a hospital or an old folks home we actually did that um drew vince and i from leftover we all went and played at this old folks home last year in idaho that somebody set this up and it was amazing like it made these people so incredibly happy to hear some music you know it's something they don't normally get to do and that feels good for everybody involved. It feels great for us. And it's nice to see music make people happy. Why we got in this in the, from the beginning, you know, we got in it to make people happy because it feels good to do that. So it, even if you're just making somebody dance or if you're making somebody boogie their ass off, you know, that's probably why we got into professional music because that feels so good when people are really digging what you're doing. I'm curious what you've learned over the course of your career about what's involved with being both a great band member, bandmate, but also a band leader. I've learned a ton about that because I've been a sideman, you know, for so long with these guys. Um, I started in the Emmett Nershey band in 2008. So God, that was like 14 years ago. And I really was truly a sideman. I didn't sing. I, uh, I just played banjo solos. But as I've always been someone who likes to write a lot of music. So as soon as I could, I was trying to get my compositions in there. And I got a song I wrote on the Emmett Nershey record, you know, and that feels great. It feels be, doing a sideman stuff is really, really cool. But, it, you know, it feels good to be more and more involved. And that's what's been so cool about Leftover. They've really let me 
get my songs in there. They let me sing. I have two title tracks of albums, actually, which is pretty wild because I was a 25-year-old kid back then, you know? And uh, so the way that those guys, they didn't have to do that, but they did to make to make me feel welcome. And, you know, maybe it was because they didn't write enough stuff for that record, but, huh, oh man, the Fox just ran by, by the way. I was going to show them on the interview. But like the fact that those guys did that was really, really cool. Nothing feels as good as being the band leader, though, when you're rocking out. I've gotten to do some really great shows leading the band. I mean, last year I put together a band at the Gerald Ford Amphitheater in Vail. I had Garrett Sayers from the Motet on bass, had Andy Hall on Dobro, had John Stickley on guitar and all in our drummer on drums. And that was like this crazy hybrid of funk and bluegrass and that felt really, really great. Um, but what it is, is also a lot of work, you know? So there's something to, uh, to being in a, in a band where it's flowing and I get to do a lot of stuff in the band. So I'm pretty happy with where I'm at right now, but doing projects like this, keep my creativity fueled. And you, you know, I'm not even doing a tour for this album which I definitely could have. And a lot of people asked why I'm not, but it's because I have a year and a half, uh, I have a year and a half year old baby and the band's so busy. I don't, I don't want to have that time away when we're not playing. So I, just to do an album like this sort of keeps me creatively engaged in something and it feels good, but I'll, I'll lead shows here and there when something good comes up, you know? Drew and Vince, they, you know, they're clearly the leaders of Leftover because they've been in the band 33 years and we haven't. And they're the singers and the songwriters, but they're really good at making us all feel like we're involved. So that's really nice. That's why I've been in there in the band for 12 years, you know. Andy Thorne, Songs of the Sunrise Fox. It's out there. Check it out. Check out those Fox videos. Shout out to Foxy, Andy, man. Thank you for joining me here. Great talking. Thanks to you. for listening. I really appreciate it. You made it through the whole album. Yeah, gladly. And it, I, you it. know, I've got it saved. I'll have to, you know, listen again. I feel like I could, I could even just throw it on while like taking a nap, and like, yeah, that would be the best. <laughs> that was the goal, man. It's just a little background music for your morning coffee, or maybe your bike ride, or your hike, camping around the fire, anything like that. Hope you guys enjoy it. Andy, I got one more question for you as we're wrapping up here. Yeah. So, so life on the road, you know, it, it can get tough. And, and I'm curious what you would say has been the most impactful lesson for you to learn about how to navigate uh, when you can feel like life's kind of gray. Yeah, life on the road, it's not the easiest. And uh, the older you get, the harder it is. But in this band, you can't ever complain about how much we're on the road because these guys have been on the road for so long. They toured in a school bus for like eight years playing over 200 shows a year. And I'm just like, what? How the hell did you guys maintain your sanity? But that's to me, the most important thing for me to do is what we talked about earlier is to enjoy my love of nature. That's where I really come to recharge. Like, going on hikes and going on bike rides, going skiing. And that actually got really hard when I had a newborn baby because you're not really going out on that many hikes in the snow in Colorado in the winter. So I didn't get a lot of my adventure time. 
that I get when I have free time off. So like now the last six months, my kid's a little older and we do all sorts of fun stuff together. So I'm getting that, I'm getting that nature time again. And I've noticed I'm so much more together mentally. So for anybody that's doing something like that, go outside and hike, go out, like sweat. Andy Thorne, everybody. <laughs> Clap track, round of applause. You, you. Thanks a lot, man.